You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. You are listening to this program on the We Are Libertarians network. Please be sure to check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. And if you like this show, please share it on your social media. Be sure... Oh, Mittens is now trying to eat the microphone. Stop that. Okay. Sorry about that. Sometimes my co-host gets a little rowdy here. Uh, yeah, please be sure to share it. I, you guys have been great about sharing all of the various shows and tagging us in it. And we'll make sure to retweet you and spread the word. And uh, thank you for doing that. We really do appreciate it. We cannot grow without your help. And so if you get something out of this show, if you get a thought that makes you think a different way or if you uh, learn a fact that you didn't know or you get a laugh or if you get anything, you get some value out of this, then please give some value back and share the show at the very least or consider donating on Patreon. That is how we keep going and how we keep doing this. And uh, I've not hit my target of doing this show every single... I've, I've put out a show for every single day, but it's not been on the day. And that is part of the reason is that I've got a day job and I've got a full life and... Uh, now, if I could do this full-time, then, man, you guys would be overwhelmed with content. You would hear so much more, and uh, I could put together a staff, and we could grow this thing into the biggest libertarian media outlet. Heck, the biggest media outlet in America. But we can't do that without your financial support, so please do that at wearelibertarians.com slash support. Okay, so I want to read you something I wrote over the weekend uh, I'm, I'm practicing my column writing and uh, posting something on the weekends. And I've been thinking a lot about identity politics and why is it so prevalent? Why is this something that we are now dealing with? And, um, you know, I was reading uh, this. <laughs> I was actually reading Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky this weekend, and it kind of clicked for me in a quote which I'll read in a bit, but it also ties back into the Greg Easterbrook, It's Better Than It Looks, that we talked about on the program on We Are Libertarians uh, a week or two ago. Everything is going really well if you're a human being. It is ne- You've never had a, a safer time to be alive. I mean, if you make $30,000 and live in the Midwest then you live better than Henry VIII did. You have better health care, you have better food, you have better sewage, you have better everything. I mean, you really are living a fantastic life compared to even the the most wealthy of 500 years ago. Um, You know, even 200 years ago. Uh, So, you know, like I've always said, I I live in this uh, 800-square-foot apartment. It's very nice. 100 years ago, it would be a tenement house. And I'd probably be living with several family members in close quarters in a single room. If it were 200 years ago, I would have had to build the house myself and a log cabin on this location. So, you know, human progress is speeding up. So by every measurable standard, the world is improving for its inhabitants. With less war, disease, and famine, over 7 billion humans can survive on a planet using less land for agriculture while producing more. There has never been a safer time to be a human in all of history. 
So I have to ask myself, why do we feel like everything is terrible? In my opinion, it's due to a concerted effort from demagogues within colleges, media, and politics to make us think things are terrible to create multiple crises. It is easier to control a population when that population is emotional and angry. As Noam Chomsky says, propaganda is to democracy what violence is to dictatorship. So why does the left focus on identity politics? And now, obviously, the Trump wing of the Republican Party and the right. Given the stability of the world, there aren't egregious large-scale societal issues of poverty, injustice, and government oppression in America. I'm not arguing that all of our problems are solved because there are still many societal imbalances in our economy and criminal justice system. They aren't as apparent as zero registered African-American voters in Mississippi or substantial portions of Americans not having access to power and sewage as in the 1950s. In the absence of evident crises, radicals must create discord to provoke society into action. Take this quote from Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. If you don't know who he is, Alinsky was a 1960s political figure that worked for the mob and decided to translate their tactics to modern politics. Hillary Clinton was so inspired by her that she wrote her senior thesis on his ideas. Uh, Alinsky, in his book Rules for Radicals, said, Men don't like to step abruptly out of security of familiar experience. They need a bridge to cross from their own experience to a new way. A revolutionary organizer must shake up the prevailing patterns of their lives, agitate, create disenchantment and discontent with the current values to produce, if not a passion for change, at least a passive, affirmative, non-challenging climate. In other words, manipulate people through propaganda and political action to make regular people believe things are terrible, so they will try to solve the problems you've made up by giving you control over their lives. If they don't become an ally, then ensure they can't or won't speak up and oppose you. Um, you know, and we outlined how that happens in, in a previous Chris Spangle show. You know, and I will say, Alinsky's book, reading through it, it is interesting. He talks about a voluntary society and voluntary uh, a society built on voluntary principles. So there are things in his book where I think libertarians, when you read it, it's not as scary as, you know, the Glenn Beck of 2011 made him out to be. Um, but uh, definitely somebody that we disagree with uh, on certain political principles. There are very real imbalances in our society for women and minorities. These realities have been exploited by political opportunists on both sides to galvanize their base and create an us-versus-them mentality. Instead of using language that brings us together, the multiple parties, uh, that brings together the multiple parties to solve an issue like gun violence or the unjust warehousing of the poor under the guise of the drug war, Thought leaders at media outlets, think tanks, advocacy groups, political organizations, and universities do what demagogues have done for the whole of human history. Protect their interests by dividing the population in an effort to maintain power. Those biased towards the left must do a better job of examining their language and the effect that weaponizing intersectionality has had on America. Those biased more towards the right have to avoid reactionary behavior and turning away from real problems just because they, quote, feel leftist. 
The good news is that while individual humans continue to be their own worst enemy, the expansion of liberty and free markets has allowed the species as a whole to live better lives. We should start getting out of our way and work together to avoid feeling miserable when there's little reason for it. Uh, I wrote that, and it's posted at WeAreLibertarians.com if you'd like to take a look at it. Uh, You know, I mentioned Glenn Beck. I listened. He has a new podcast, so you basically just subscribe to, you know, the Glenn Beck show thing. You get his daily show and highlights, and then he's doing a podcast in that feed now. And uh, he did an interview with a guy named Tim Ballard, who is a former FBI, CIA guy, Navy SEAL, and he basically helps rescue women and children from the the modern slave trade. And they talked about, um, I think her name was Harriet Jones, and, um, you know, the scourge of African slavery and then modern slavery as well. And it was a very... Uh, I mean, it wasn't a fun conversation to listen to, but it was riveting. I mean, it was just fascinating. And and don't let the don't let Glenn Beck scare you away from this conversation because I think it was truly important to listen to, and I think it was a really um, amazing conversation about a problem that is happening in our world today and uh, something that people are really waking up to. Um, you know, and Beck tells a story that, you know, even in, in his home with the amount of security that he has and the friends and, and the, the the efforts that he makes to fight human trafficking and uh, sex slavery, his own son via Xbox was being groomed by a child molester. Uh, and he tells this story in the middle of it. I mean, it was – it just highlighted how prevalent this problem is in America when a guy who – is very aware of what's going on, is actively raising money and fighting, you know, people who who have sex with kids, <laughs> uh, for lack of a graceful term, uh, who has 24-7 security to his home, is vulnerable, um, you know, and how vigilant we have to be about this problem. And, um, you know, it... it it, it is more prevalent than I p- think people uh, realize. And so, you know, I have a friend who worked at a local strip club, and human traffickers came into this club in Indianapolis, Indiana, all the time to, to target highlight, uh, to target basically the girls with drug problems, and then they'd get trafficked. So this is not something that is just hidden, and it's not an African problem. It is, it is uh, violence, sexual violence against women and children is happening by the millions in our communities, and we're not talking about it because it's ugly. And Beck makes the point, like when I have Tim Ballard on, the ratings massively drop because <laughs> nobody wants to be confronted with it. And that was the problem in African slavery too. People were aware that human beings were being um, enslaved. It's just ugly. I want to look away from that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to focus on my life, and I don't want to focus on the ills of society. And Tim Ballard was contacted by the Steelers coach, Mike Tomlin, and Tomlin said, you know, here I am being consumed because of my job by the nonsense of identity politics 
and the kneeling and the other BS that goes around it. And it's it's maddening when we have women and children in literal slavery in our country, in our world. And if we can't come together against women and children being sexually assaulted then what that's the uniting issue look at the, look at slavery look at sexual violence look at domestic violence and start focusing on the big issues of human injustice and if we focus on what really is important then we'll stop focusing on the things that don't matter and i thought that was such a great point we focus on things that do not matter because we have i think we have it too good <laughs> Um, I, I think it's not a, an uncommon problem in human history. Uh, when, you, when you really study history, you realize a lot of the things, we are just repeating our history, we're, we're just constantly um, getting involved in nonsense when, uh, and distractions, and that's how it's always been. And I just think we need to do better. I think we should focus on these big issues. We, you know, it was really the podcast for me was a wake up call because I have a voice. I I do these programs um, not for self glorification, not for your Patreon donations to make money. I do this because I'm passionate about making the lives better of those listening, and then also the entire world and. And I and I listened to it and I was like, am I doing enough? Am I focusing too much on the president? Am I focusing too much on the things that don't matter? Am I not highlighting issues of injustice? You know, and when you hear injustice, the word justice has been co-opted by the left. True injustices are not left or right issues. They are clear to everyone that they are injustices. They aren't co-opted by a side Something like the Catholic Church sex scandal, for instance, is not a left or right issue. It is an issue of injustice. It is a wrong that must be righted. And the church needs to stop protecting and creating and and having a culture of child abuse. Someone asked me, why do you think this is so prevalent in the Catholic Church? And I think it's because for the last who knows how many generations people that had those proclivities understood partially because they were um, groomed themselves in that culture that this behavior would be tolerated this behavior would be acceptable and so if they're let's say molested in the 60s by the 80s they're becoming a priest because they know that they can get away with it that's why it's so prevalent. It's not the celibacy issue. It's not uh, it, it, that. I think that may play a role, but I think it's more the fact that people who are predators will knowingly join a group that will allow them to be predators, and we may be unaware of those factors, but they weren't. So we have to go into a place like the Catholic Church. Catholics have to clean up their own house. They have to say this is this culture is not acceptable. And it has to start with the Pope, for instance. The Pope is not taking responsibility for his actions. Benedict did not take responsibility for his actions. These are two men 
who have repeatedly turned their eyes away from this sin, turned their eyes away from abuse, and everyone lets them get away with it. Because the culture within the Catholic structure, within the Catholic, it lets them get away with it. And what's sad is, let's say, and we have no idea, right? We have no idea if it's 5% of priests or 95% of priests that engaged in this behavior. But let's say it's 5%. Let's say it's 10%. The good work of the other 90% is completely tarnished because they allowed the sin to take place. They allowed this behavior to continue. The collar is now representative of pedophilia. It's not representative of social work. It's not representative of Christ. It's not representative of Catholic values. It's representative of pedophilia. And it's because people were too cowardly to stand up for what's right. Even the highest levels of the people that are supposed to be the beacons of morality. You know, we we have to do better. And we cannot turn our eyes away from this issue. It's just too important. It is it is um, the unspoken issue of our time. Human trafficking and sexual violence against women and children. And it has to be spoken about. And Tim Ballard made the point in this podcast. He said, you know what? Nobody had language for human trafficking in 2000. And here we are in 2018, and, and people have language to speak about it. They have organizations to fight it. They have, we, we have, and you look at the, and his model is African slavery. He's like, if you look at the abolitionist movement, people use their gifts to start speaking up. You know, Harriet Beecher Stowe wasn't a smuggler like Harriet Tubman, but she could write. And so she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. And so people hear about the issue, they're moved to the issue, and they say, well, I'm a writer, well, I'm a speaker, well, I'm a smuggler, well, I'm a... And eventually it grows into a movement that ends slavery. So I encourage you to listen to that podcast. I'll link it in the show notes. I encourage you to um, be more vocal about your principles and what you care about. I think it is just crucially important. Um, so, all right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chris Bengel show. And I will see you, well, I want to say tomorrow, but I'll see you today because I'm going to record two. I'm going to record. We, we are libertarians and the Chris Bengel show again today. So, all right. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.